I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome. Welcome, hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we talk about our week in review, what TV shows and movies we have been watching since the last episode. Then move on into our main event, which is either a main review or a topic of discussion. And then we finish all off with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching back through time year by year. In this episode, what are we doing, Shanna? What's our main event? Our main event is our review on Mission Impossible. Fallout. Yes. Yes, you got to keep them straight. Fallout this is, is the latest one. This is number six. Yeah. And then our film faves will actually be counting down our favorite movies by Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. So that will be very interesting. But first, our week in review. I will get started with just a couple things I watched. First of all, I finally caught up with the first season of Glow. Glow is the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. A wonderful little Netflix show that it looks like Alison Brie spearheaded. She is the main star, the headlining star of the series. It also stars Mark Marin, in case you're not familiar with this. It did come out last year on Netflix. Uh, but it does star Mark Marin, Betty Gilpin, Sidel Noel, Britt Barron, Brittany Young, Kate Nash, and many more. This basically, according to IMDb, is a look at the personal and professional lives of a group of women who perform for a wrestling organization in Los Angeles. Important to note, it takes place in the early 80s, so you do get the occasional reference to, to certain things. Actually, I think it's mid-80s, based on a couple of reference points that I can't talk about, but you do get certain things in the 80s referenced uh, in it, and it has a wonderful opening title sequence that has very neon-lighted characters, uh, like animated characters wrestling in a ring. I have so many TV shows out there. It's really hard for me to find a TV show that I want to spend the time to continue watching and catch up on. And I think the fact that I just finished watching season one is a testament, at least in my opinion, of how good this series is. I am just short of loving this show. It does a lot of things while trying to stay true to the time period. It does a lot of things that's very feminist. It uh, undercuts a lot of attitudes of the time while also kind of speaking to some of the chauvinist and racist attitudes of the time. The character. Yeah, right, exactly. But also, over the course of the ten episodes in the first season, you do get to know several of the characters. I think episode four, three or four, is a really good start in that. One of the characters uh, who seems to always wear their costume, it's revealed that you get to see that person putting on their costume. It's not actually who they are. You, the previous three episodes, I should say, I should clarify, it seems like what she looks like is who she is, and she's this crazy person. But she's she, already got her wrestling persona. Right, right. <laughs> so, Shannon, you've seen a few episodes. You're trying to catch up to me. Yeah. 
Uh, what are for your a thoughts? <laughs> yeah, for once. What are your thoughts on Glow? I think it has really clean cinematography, which is always helpful for me. And I feel like the characters are very interesting. I find myself getting annoyed with the main character mm-hmm. a lot, but maybe it's because I can somewhat relate to her. And at the same time, like I've moved past that phase in my life. I'm sure there'll be another one like it where she's just, she, she wants to do a particular thing mm-hmm. in her life. Mm-hmm. And if it's not that particular thing, she's not interested. And she's not taking any feedback either. Well, let, let's clarify a little bit, because I think there's one... We can talk a little bit about that character based on what's revealed in the first episode, which is Alison Brie's character. She's a struggling actress. Actress, She's aspiring. She's not getting anywhere. She's not getting any parts. She tries really hard, and she's not paying the bills, so she's a little desperate. But also, we've learned that she is having an affair, and by having an affair, I mean, I think on two occasions... She has had sex with her best friend's husband. That actually lays the groundwork for some of the dynamics in the beginning of uh, of the series, the first season of the series, because her best uh, friend, played by Betty Gilpin, has a plays a factor in the story, but also her desperation as an actress and wanting to take things to another level and always perform uh, plays a huge factor in the first season as well. I, I thought this would be a series that you'd enjoy. Is it something that you want to keep going and see the rest of? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and I'm starting to get into season two right now. So uh, if you want to check it out, it is called Glow and it is on Netflix. Did you already say it's a Netflix original? Yes. Oh, okay. I mentioned it's on Netflix a couple times, I think. Next, in my efforts to try to look to research for our film phase theme this week, I watched Born on the Fourth of July, which is an Oliver Stone film that stars Tom Cruise. It's about a real man named Ron Kovic who went to war uh, in the Vietnam War, he was, a, he was a huge patriot. He believed in his country. He came back wounded, paralyzed from essentially the waist down, maybe a little higher, and eventually became a human rights and anti-war activist. So this film came out in 1989. This is the year after Rain Man and two years after Top Gun, which was peak 80s Tom Cruise. At the time that they were putting the movie together and and Tom Cruise was being considered for the role. Of course, the real Ron Kovic did not think that... Like, he was really un, uneasy about Tom Cruise, this guy who was just in this very macho, very go-America, you know, action dogfight film, Top uh, Gun. Yeah, Top Gun. You know, would be able to portray him very well. So I discovered... I think I watched Born on the Fourth of July for the first time kind of a few years after 1989, and it's interesting because it's clearly, you know, Rain Man is the, the first movie where Tom Cruise is trying to do something a little more mature um, and kind of stretch himself as an actor. And I think Bowen on the 4th of July, he took on, because that was also really important, 
to him to continue that and work with someone like Oliver Stone, who is a very demanding and very challenging director, I think um, probably grew him as an actor. And he is very good in the film. This is a film that I ended up liking, but not loving, revisiting it several years later now. And it's, it, it's, not, it's not necessarily that I have any problems with the film. It just it, it wants to be this very um, sweeping sort of epic about you know one man's story, and I don't necessarily feel like I really got caught up and swept away and moved by it. But it is a very well directed, is very well told, and very well acted uh, film. So it's worth it's worth checking out. What is interesting though, very briefly I'll say, you have in uh, in the late 70s ron kovic at this point he was uh, against the vietnam war and he was i think about to sorry not in the late 70s he ran for senate in the late 70s before that he was being outspoken about the war along with other wounded vets and what was interesting is seeing when soldiers arrive back from the war there is a certain population who are very much against the war who reacted to to soldiers returning called them baby killers and all sorts of things like just really really met with them with disdain and resentment and anger and all sorts of things but then there's the other side where you have these conservatives who are very much like in support of the war and stuff but even having, this is what's really interesting, even having people who have been to the war, who have seen how awful it is, speaking out, people who have been wounded and their lives forever changed because of this war, speaking out against it, they were shamed, they were shut down. You know, you had these, these conservatives who didn't want to hear from them, uh, said shame on you for speaking out against the war, etc., etc., so I thought that was very, very interesting and curious and a well-depicted aspect of Born on the Fourth of July. So uh, feel free to, to find that and uh, check it out. Next, Shanna, you had something that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so I just started the first episode of The Handmaid's Tale Season 2. And what I did was I watched the last episode of Season 1. And then I watched the first episode of season two so that I could make sure that I picked up where exactly where I left off. Because yeah, refresh that's your how, memory. Well, and that's how it happens. It picks oh. up right right off where we left. Yeah. And so it obviously it shows, you know, this kind of last time on Handmaid's Tale type of thing. But it was I felt it was important that I watched that first episode because this is no spoilers. For those of you who don't know, Handmaid's Tale is a dystopian future where fertility has dropped drastically and now you know they are taking women who are fertile women who are capable of having children and turning them into these very disturbing uh sort of slave positions that's the best way i can describe it and so getting to the point this isn't a spoiler even though these women are capable of giving life they treat them horribly so if they do something against the law 
that is now established in, a, in the USA. They get punished pretty severely and there's nothing, you know, it just looks like how you would punish someone in the medieval times kind of thing. Mm. And then something happened with a man in the last episode of season, of, of season one. And his punishment was to have his arm. Oh, yes. You described this. It's very yeah. gross. So he has a man that did something that broke the law. Mm-hmm. And he is going to go and essentially have an operation. They knock him out with mm-hmm. anesthetic. And they surgically, cosmetically, beautifully remove his arm. Uh-huh. Not the whole thing, just the you know the bottom half, and uh, you know there's there's like a little scar, and he's missing a piece of his limb, uh-huh. and that's you know, and he gets I'm pretty sure he gets like pain medication afterwards and stuff like that. Okay. So it's really just this cosmetic thing that happens. Well, the woman do something wrong. The women who are capable of bearing children, and they are being subjected to very cold conditions outside they are being threatened with other things that are spoilers and then they're having their hand being handcuffed to a stove and being gas burned it's just this really interesting commentary on how women are getting the worst of it and men who do horrible things they're getting like a smack on the hand well i think what you're really illustrating is because like losing having a part of your body cut off is no small thing but what you are describing is there's a difference in how one is treated than the other one is one is treated quite brutally and another while receiving a, a very severe punishment they are cared for yeah much much more yeah yeah, that's and interesting. It's fascinating to me that this society that is so reliant on these handmaids, these yeah. women who can bear children, but then they are being so incredibly brutal to them. Yeah. As compared to the white man right. who is fucking around and he's just getting it very clinically taken care of. His punishment is very clinical. So that's how last season ended what did you think of the season premiere of season two so here's the thing about this show that's not the main point (laughs) that's not the main thing that's happened that's just simply an observation i've made from the jump between season one and season two okay which i appreciate that they separated that because it just makes you really appreciate the show a lot more Uh and the season premiere was fantastic i mean like it was quite a roller coaster ride. I was like, oh my God, is she going to do this? Is she going to do that? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? What's going to happen next? Oh my God, there's stuff that's going to happen next. Is this going to be the end? How are they going to do the rest of the season? And so it's like a lot of like emotions and anxiety that I go through. And this show, I will say, is very important to watch for women by themselves. <laughs> mm. Because I, I get very angry in between because even though this is a... What is it called? The dystopian future? Yeah. There's a lot that's real to now. Sure, that's the idea. And it's being amplified and so well. Mm. So I highly recommend that show. That's still a series I need to catch up on, obviously. Since we're not able to watch it together, I've been greatly behind on it. Okay, and I'm going to share, like, Mm -hmm. as a woman, 
this is a very good show to watch if it is that time of the month. It's just, <laughs> really? There's just something about it that makes it like really interesting, a very interesting, primitive kind of synchronicity experience is the best I can come up with huh. of how to explain it. Very good. Well, that's the season premiere of Handmaid's Tale Season 2, which you can find on Hulu, yeah? It's on Hulu. It's a Hulu. Hulu made it. All and right. they're doing great. It sounds like it. I think they won a lot of awards for it, too. So with that, let's get to our main event, which is our review of Mission Impossible Fallout. Number six. <laughs> <laughs> Your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I wonder. Did you ever choose not to? The end you always feared is coming. And the blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside. How long before a man like that has had enough? trailer to mission impossible fallout mission impossible fallout i'm going to give you just really brief imdb description of what it is about ethan hunt and his team along with some familiar allies race against time after a mission gone wrong it doesn't get much vaguer than that that's for sure this is uh, the second effort directed by christopher mcquarrie of the Mission Impossible films this is the first film in the series that is to be directed by a the same director as a previous entry. And it's also written by Christopher McQuarrie and it stars pretty much everybody from Rogue Nation except Jeremy Renner plus Henry Cavill and Angela Bassett. So before we get into our normal review, I wanted to make just a, a, a little bit of a quick note on our experience watching the film. So we're a part of MoviePass, right? 
Uh, oh, are we going to talk about that? We should talk just really briefly about Movie Pass. Um, Movie Pass is a subscription service. If you're not aware of it, it's gotten huge in the news. I start. I joined about a year and a half ago, back when it was fifty dollars a month for unlimited movies per month. It uh, was one. 50? Yeah, one uh, one movie per day was the restriction. No IMAX, no 3D, which was totally fine with me. Worked really great. Then they had the dramatic price drop a year ago. That's when Shanna joined and got her own uh, account. That's really helped us with the podcast and stuff. But unfortunately, because of the dramatic price drop to $10 a month and the enormous amount of subscribers that came after that, right... They've been having some problems and have been modifying the service. And basically, whereas before MoviePass could be used at any theater, once a day, whatever you wanted, the parties, you know, it was a free-for-all, and now the party's kind of over in a mm. way. Not that the MoviePass has gone away, but they've, in order to survive, they've had to become more restrictive. And, then, and honestly, well, here's how they've become restrictive. First of all... For the time being, new releases are no longer available on their opening weekends, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And also, there may be certain times, certain showtimes, that may experience something called surge pricing, where you have to pay a couple dollars extra to be able to see that movie. Which, you know, if you're paying $10 a month, you pay $2 more for one movie, that's not too bad. Basically, what it's become is you could watch any movie anytime, once a day. Now, that's not the case anymore. I've had to come to realize that all the other movie subscription services that came since MoviePass also are restrictive in some way, right? MoviePass is the only one where you can use it at any theater. All the other ones are these theater chains trying to create their own subscription services in order to compete. The restriction being, it's at their theaters only. And you might not have one of their theaters around you, like AMC, uh, what do they call it? AMC A-list stubs? We don't have AMC in our area. We have to Mm. go to Seattle, right? Cinemark has one. It's not that great a service. It pretends that some things are awesome, but you still have to end up paying on top of the subscription service. Um, And some of the perks are like pretend perks, like no charges by um, paying for your tickets online. It's like, why would there be a fee? So it's one of those things where it has now its pros and cons. And as a result, we weren't able to watch Mission Impossible Fallout through our movie pass, were we? No, we no. were not. So, did you have anything you want to say about the, the movie pass experience? I think they jumped the gun too soon. Whoever made that decision to make it a $10 subscription instead of 50 I mean, 50 actually almost makes sense to me. It does. Like, 30 would be a better drop. And yeah. And then to see what happens. Yeah, totally. So, I don't know who was making those decisions but those people obviously don't have a lot of business experience that's what i'm gathering from it and that's very judgmental but i think they're banking on the fact that most moviegoers don't go to the theater every weekend and so some people will sign up and they they will still go to maybe two movies a month or whatever right 
And so I, I think that they were thinking they wouldn't lose a whole lot of money. They'd be getting all these people that would offset the money that they'd be that they'd be losing. But what ended up happening is now people are going to the movies more than they have before, or more often than they have before because of Movie Pass. And so the debts are just racking up. I think. Look, I'm more than happy to pay like even thirty dollars a month. Sure. And to I was happy to pay fifty. Yeah. So the thing is, there was no warning. We got to the theater. We tried checking into Mission Impossible. It was it was kind of faded out, unable to select. Right. And that was very upsetting. When I started Movie Pass, you know, it was it was fun. It was it was very exciting. And we watched Black. I watched Black Panther twice. So right. I get that right. the restrictions going to be. No, you can only see something once. I'm like, okay, yeah, I totally hear that. Right. That that um, came a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I get that. That's fine. But now we're kind of on this other side of the spectrum as a customer experience. Right. And right now I'm not in a very appreciative state because we don't really have access to anything. Just this morning we looked on on the app to see what was available and it said 8th grade is available but only at 3 a.m. I know for a fact that our Regal Cinema is not open at 3 a.m. Mm. They close the doors after the 11 p.m. showing and that's it, guys. So right. don't fuck with me like that. <laughs> well, and, I, and eighth grade didn't even show up on my app because we have two different types of phones. Yeah, so, so, you know, they're definitely going through a ton of growing pains. Yeah. And they are obviously, it's very clear that they're in a lot of debt because they've had to shut things down. Yeah. They're not even like, okay, we'll just, we'll fix all the things in the background and at the end of the month we'll launch the new app or whatever it is. Right. So there's none of that. They're obviously in a, a very, very bad place right now. So. Yeah, and, and I think you share the same sentiments as many, many subscribers. I'm a little bit more tepid about it because I do kind of like, I'm adjusting my thinking. I am able to realize, okay, I, I went from having to pay more a month to having to pay less uh, so i'm okay to a certain extent and i'm also understanding like in order for this to even survive and me to be able to still experience this it's just going to have to be restricted in its own way compared to other i still think it's a better value than other services that the theater chains are trying to create oh um, yeah so my thought on that when mm -hmm. cinemark came out with their thing yeah i was such a bitch in the cinema because I was <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? You're not yeah. going to charge us to book online? Fuck you. That's like a stupid charge. Right. You know? And then like you, you still, there's some, some circumstances where you would pay an additional $9 to see a movie or bring a friend or whatever, you know? And I'm not okay with that. Here's why. I want to know how much I'm going to be spending on movies, on a subscription particularly. And I want that to be what the fee is. Right. I don't want extra pieces at the end of the month. That's uh -huh. not what I want. Yeah. So we just had to speak a little bit because there is a lot of talk in the in the movie lover crowd and circles about Movie Pass. And since our experiences have kind of been escalating, it was worth speaking uh, just a few minutes on it ourselves. I um, hope they get it right. 
I hope they get whatever they need sorted and make everything fluid again, however that ends up looking, so that way they can survive because it is awesome service to have. And it was a brilliant idea that someone should have come up with years ago. All right, that said, how we like to talk about our reviews of a film is starting out with the good, what we liked about a movie, before moving on to the bad, what we didn't like about a movie, because honestly, sometimes it's easier to think about the bad than the good, right? I mean, sure. Yeah, you've had that experience. Personally, sure. I like the positive sandwich. I like to go what we, like, non-spoiler, what we liked, what we didn't like, and then spoiler, what we didn't like, what we liked. Yeah. That's how I like to do it. So in a way that's kind of our format. We talk about what we didn't what we like, what we didn't like, and general thoughts before moving to spoilers. And then we have our final thoughts. So So I loved the experience of this movie. Me too. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you enjoyed about Mission Impossible Fallout? So first off, this is a very, very entertaining film. Like they get entertainment rot in this film because what's happening to your emotions is you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh God. Okay, they're okay, they're okay. No, they're not. No, they're not. They were okay a second ago, but where are they now? And so it's this really great, like... It's a roller coaster Adrenaline ride. rush that yeah. happens in my mind. Absolutely. And it's really, really fun. When I say roller coaster, I'm not being flippant. It's like, it truly is mm -hmm. a roller coaster. The way this movie makes you care about the characters is so great. I can't remember if I really cared about them in the previous movies. I think I was just along for the ride. Can we take a step back? Can we uh, talk about how which movies you've seen in the series? Are there any you haven't them. seen? You have seen all of them. Yeah. You, you've seen even number two. Yeah. Okay, okay. I think that that's, that's worthwhile for us to clear up because we haven't reviewed a Mission Impossible film yet before. Uh, so we both have seen the entire series, and are you a fan of of uh, the whole series? I'm always up to see it, and that's how it's been up to now. Mm -hmm. I've always been fairly neutral, like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I know it's going to look amazing. Right. But this in this particular movie, I was really caring about everyone. Okay. I was like, oh my god, I hope everyone's going to be okay. Is that person going to be okay? Oh my god. You know, so it yeah. was a very different experience for me in mm. this one. Kind of like how genuine they were being. They were being more like relationship driven mm -hmm. in this particular film compared to the others. Uh-huh. Yep. And so I really appreciated that I when movies make it so that I actually care. Of course. So yeah, that's nice, you know. You know, it's not just about the, the action. It's not like it's not yeah. it's not bad boys or anything Michael yeah. Bay has made. Yeah, yeah. So I also was really thrilled by, you know, you're always trying to guess where the movie's heading. Mm -hmm. You're always trying to guess how a particular situation is going to unfold. And there's many, many, many situations in this film that occur. And so I'm constantly guessing. So not only are you being entertained by your adrenaline rush that you're experiencing during watching the film, but you're also trying to use, you know, your brain to figure out the puzzles that are happening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would get it right and sometimes I would be completely off. Mm. So I just need to get one or two right and then <laughs> I, I'm still entertained and happy to be there and not mad. But you have to get those one or two I, right. I have to get, like, the ratio is 10%, maybe 15. <laughs> so If, you, if you're 100% surprised, 
Let me then, really... then you're tossing the, the toys out of your I car. I will eat my hat. <laughs> <laughs> and the cinematography, it just was amazing. All of it. There's silhouettes across dawn skies. There's perspective with the use of so many columns, a.k.a. Paris. There's opposite movement to the already exist, existing movement. There's... You know, morning dew reflections of the city lights. There's soft light, there's harsh light. There's a couple of blown out shots which aren't appealing at all, but they're very small and I feel like they were just this like sprinkling to add variety to the different cinemagraphic shots. It's worth noting. There's even, well, just lastly, there's even beautiful club glitzy, silky, luscious night scenes, which are just really, you know, dripping in gorgeousness. It's worth noting that the, the cinematographer, the director of photography in this film, is the same as from Alex Garland's Ex Machina and Annihilation. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. His name is Rob Hardy. So wanted to give him a little bit of credit since you were speaking specifically to his work. It just felt like I, had, I know nothing about the situation. But mm-hmm. to me, as a photographer, it felt like they just let him be. You know, mm-hmm. they let him do all the things and that's the best thing to do yeah was there anything else that you enjoyed about this i'm probably going to stop there okay but i'm sure I'll there. More. what about you well here, here's a couple things that you hit on that i think speaks so much to the series in general first of all the fact that you there's a balance between the visceral thrills of the action choreography and the mind puzzle slash you know intelligence of the twists of what where the direction the plot is going that is something that is you can see in every single entry of of the series maybe less so with mission impossible 2 directed by john woo but is by far the lesser of the series and, and most fans aren't as big a fan of it but that is one of the things that really characterizes this franchise it's it's a, always incredibly entertaining, uh, yet also very intelligent in, in its plotting in many different ways, uh, which is very fascinating considering I was listening to some discussion about the film. They were talking about how Christopher McCoy was saying that a lot of times they reverse engineer the film. They come up with a, we want Tom Cruise to do this. Why would he be doing this? Oh, and yeah. they figure out from there, like, a whole scenario that leads to Tom Cruise doing X, Y, Z, you know? So that's really interesting. And, and Fallout does it very, very well. Also, characters. I have seen this entire series from the beginning when Mission Impossible first came out in 1996. Yeah, you've been growing up with it, right? Yes, yes. I don't think I've missed a single one in the theater, I believe. And so, you know, Veen Rames is uh, probably the oldest character alongside Ethan Hunt. Uh, Tom Cruise is Ethan Hunt, Veen Rames Luther. And so each of these other characters get added along the way. And so I do, because I've invested six movies into these characters uh, to varying degrees, care about what happens to them. 
Simon Pegg's been in it since Mission Impossible 3. He's my favorite, by the way. Benji, he's, he's great, right? He's now a field operative. Uh, has been, I think, since the last film, Rogue Nation. I could No, maybe even Ghost Protocol. My memory's a little fuzzy. But And then Rebecca Ferguson as Ilsa, who was for sure introduced in Rogue Nation, the last film. I care about all these characters, partially because the actors help us care about these action stars uh, these action characters right mm. but with this film mission impossible fallout i feel like the stakes are so high and the way themes are filmed and plotted you don't actually know whether or not these characters are going to get out of their individual scenarios you actually feel that they are in danger that they may not survive. And I found myself thinking back to the trailer, trying to uh, plot check and be like, okay, do I see this character in another scene that uh -huh. hasn't happened yet in the movie? Oh my gosh, I don't know if I have. He may not get out of this, you know? Trying to be ahead of the movie and be smart. And in all honesty, not everybody does get out of this movie. You know, and I think that is really one of the strengths of Fallout is they make you not take everything for granted. Mm -hmm. six movies in and the the and when somebody doesn't get out you do care about what happens mm -hmm. i feel so that's one thing i really really love i was on the edge of my seat a lot of the time during this movie i was rocking with excitement uh this is the most <laughs> fun i've had this summer and probably the most satisfying film i have seen this summer Yes, we've seen Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary about Fred Rogers. That was a very good uh, documentary and one of the best films that came out this summer. But just about every other movie that we have seen and we've talked about over the course of the summer, to some degree has fallen short for me, has been good but not great, or less so, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the first film where I felt from beginning to end, they stuck the landing. It was an, an insanely fun, enjoyable ride. And I, 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 I just had a blast with it. So I think Mission Impossible Fallout is definitely the movie to beat this summer. And since we're in August, I don't think anything is going to beat it this summer. Financial, that might be a different story. We'll see how it falls in the box office over time. Right now, it's pretty low in the in the season's top ten. But, oh, that's so sad. Um, yeah, it's very surprising. I did read a headline that said it did receive the, the best opening grosses of the entire series, which is kind of cool, mm -hmm. you know? Other things I enjoyed about this film... The villains. I feel like one thing about the series is it does have a little bit of a villain problem where some villains are kind of weaker than others. Um, I feel like you have very particular villainary elements that need to be adhered to. What makes you say that? That's interesting. Because you always have something to say about the villains. Always. In this particular series? No, it, throughout all the movies in the world. Okay? <laughs> in life. Well, so here's the thing. For in existence. me, a villain's got to be incredibly intelligent. It's got to be a challenge for the, the hero, right? 
but he also should be somewhat of a physical threat too. You know, like it's it's one thing if a villain's really really smart, but if if your hero is going to easily be able to kick this guy's ass, then he's kind of he's kind of a weak villain. You know, I feel like Die Hard has had this issue in the past, and I feel like I feel like Mission Impossible has had this problem occasionally too. I love Ghost Protocol, well, but the villain is not the best part of Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. You know okay, what I'm saying? Yeah, no. Um, people praise Fimo- Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible Three. That's because Philip Seymour Hoffman's a really great actor, and he has a couple menacing scenes. But when Ethan Hunt is going, you know, fist to fist with him, guy's got nothing on Ethan Hunt, right? So, I feel like Rogue Nation. And this film, which is a direct sequel, direct sequel from Rogue Nation, is the first of the series to be a direct sequel rather than just having through lines of characters or what have you, but has a really good villain. So one of which is a spoiler. So I can't really talk about or her. But I do like the villain in this. The chase sequences. You got, I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, okay, what are some of the highlights of the action sequences? And I realized you have a motorcycle chase, you have a foot chase, and you have a helicopter chase. Oh my god, that's right. Right? I thought that was too spoilery, but okay, we're going to jump on that. I'm not going to dive into too too much stuff, but. I appreciated the experimentation there. I didn't realize you have three times the chase in this film. It's not just one main chase, you know? And they are all incredibly thrilling chases, you know? Someone pointed out how one of them is a foot chase, and all you're seeing is Tom Cruise running straight for, like, hundreds of feet, you know? I mean, I don't know who his trainer is. Like, the real life. Like, yeah. No, not the real life, but, like, in the Ethan world. Oh. Like, who is your trainer? <laughs> what is your regiment? Right. Please tell me. Yeah. Like, are you... There's got to be a lot of fucking protein and fat there. Like, is he doing keto? What is, is Dude he doing is paleo? What is he doing? Specimen, man. He could be an Olympic athlete. He's um, he's in damn good shape, especially for being 56 years old. Oh, yeah. So, By in real way. life, I also want to know what his actual regiment is. Yeah. I want to know Tom Cruise's regiment. The guy, man. I'd be fascinated. It's, yeah, it's shit. And then, lastly, I, I want... hope he lives until he's like 120. <laughs> you guys know? like, gonna look like, good okay, at ninety. If sure. you're taking care of yourself so well and you're capable yeah. of doing all these different things, yeah. and you are not like, like you you don't get killed or right. something weird, right? Like you should live till you're one twenty at right. least comfortably. And that's the thing, like short of some horrible accident on set or something, yeah, the guy's gonna look damn good at ninety. And and. And that's the thing about Tom Cruise, especially with this series, you know, he tries to do everything practically. This is not a CGI heavy action franchise. This is the opposite of Transformers. That's why it's so this is your beautiful real, to look at. Yeah, this is your hero is a real person really actually flying a helicopter, really actually falling from a great height, you know, really actually up on the top of a really tall building, you know, in, in Ghost Protocol, on a really, like, 120 stories high and actually falling mm. from 120 stories high, mm. you know? 
he really wants us to know. He actually does a fucking halo jump in this movie. Which, if you don't know what a halo jump is, it's... I don't know. I can't remember what I halo stands for. I assume it's fancy. It's high altitude something. But it's... You jump from a plane really high near the um, atmosphere above the clouds and parachute eventually down to safety. He actually does this, and a camera operator actually goes with him. Oh, that reminds me of another thing. Some of the camera tricks in this movie is so good. Like how the camera operator in the halo jump sequence in the first place is able to just kind of fall backwards with, uh, you know, with Tom Cruise following him and then have Tom Cruise pass by him and it's all like this one like seamless pan and cut and have Tom Cruise have to do what he does. That is incredible, incredible stuff. When Movie Pass lets us go watch this, we're going to go watch it. I know, right? I know. <laughs> like, yeah, we're totally. going to go a second time. Yeah. And then there's there's a face mask sequence. If you're familiar with the series, it's you're no stranger to the whole face mask thing. I think Mission Impossible 3 was the first one to actually show it being applied and have this like camera trickery of it switching actors. And there's a similar sequence in Fallout that is so seamless. It feels like it's focusing on one actor and then you see that same actor stand up in the background stuff like that is is just really really cool main point is i'm really really impressed with christopher mccoy as a director his i think he started out with jack reacher which was another tom cruise film i haven't seen i heard it was kind of mediocre then he did rogue nation now he's done fallout he's blown me away okay i have other stuff but spoilery i've gone off do was you there have anything, anything you didn't like? Well, that's why I want to ask about you. So give me a break. Give people's ears a break from listening to me. Was there anything at all you didn't like about this movie? There's not going to be a huge break because <laughs> there wasn't much that I didn't like. One thing I didn't like in the trailer, they show Superman punching through air. Okay, look, he's super Loading his okay. fists. Yeah. I love that term. Loading his fists. Yeah, here's the thing. Yeah. The sound was not as impactful in the actual film as it was in the trailer. Well, you had a score was, going on in the trailer, I too. I don't care. Yeah. I wanted the air. <laughs> there's, there's very few primal things that turn me on, and yeah. that's one of them, and it was very disappointing for me. And to clarify, you are talking about Henry Cavill. Superman. Yeah. So, <laughs> that is the only thing I was horribly disappointed about. That's horribly disappointed. I really was. I just spoke about... Ruined the prim- whole scene. Primal turn-ons, people. Yeah. Do your research. If you're going to punch fucking air in the trailer, you better punch it in the movie, okay? Well... The sound better be consistent. Yeah, it is in the movie, just not the, the way you I'm like it I'm not blaming Superman. I'm yeah. blaming the sound people. Yeah. You've been warned. So... The only other thing that I didn't like was a couple of blown out shots that were occurring in Paris. And I here's why I didn't like it. It felt like the cinematographer was just tired that day. <laughs> no, because I know. Because I know what it looks like when uh, the work takes a dip. I know what that looks like. Um, so I was just a little disappointed because... When everything else looked so fucking fantastic, that that threw me off a little. And it was an important scene, too. Mm. So I was like, no, come on, you can't, no, blow something out somewhere else where it's not important. Mm. So that's how I feel about that. 
The only other thing that I didn't like was the female villain. She was a little weird for me. Are you talking about the White Widow? Yeah. Do we talk about that now or later? Well, there is something about her I'll talk about in spoilers. It's a really brief thing. But I will say, if I were to try to find the weakest link, I would agree with you it is the White Widow. And I don't... I, I, I can't pinpoint what it is. I can't pinpoint if it's just who she is as a character. It feels like she's she's got a lot of issues as a person. It feels weird to me. It feels really off. Like something's wrong. You know? I think it's the one character that we don't really get a strong sense of in the film. She's a little bit. Uh, she's a she's a a broker, and she's which means she's kind of a middle person. Which and, and to do so, I think you have to make yourself somewhat of a mystery. But maybe and and we've seen mysterious characters before be very intriguing. It might mm. be just the actress not being able to bring that intrigue to the character. Well, and I didn't want to blame the actress. Mm-hmm. Who, by the way, is Vanessa Kirby, an actress I'm not terribly familiar with, but she is apparently in The Crown as Princess Margaret and a show, a movie called About Time, which we've seen. So she just threw me off a little. Yeah. There's something that she does, and maybe we can talk about it in spoilers, but there's something that she does, and I'm just like, I guess that's the point where I would blame the actress. Okay. It was just, it was so strange. It took me out of the movie for a second gotcha so that was the only other thing that i didn't like i'm pretty sure any any of this affect the the quality of the movie for you overall um, yeah i feel like, like they that? should have just taken that scene out that was bothering me okay. or they should have just reshot it differently well let's let's talk so, in more depth about that yeah. scene uh by moving into spoilers but for those who haven't seen this film yet hopefully you're going to see it this weekend as we are recording this. Or when Movie Pass lets you. Or when Movie Pass <laughs> lets you if you're a subscriber. But we, we definitely recommend it. And I think we agree that is probably the most fun we've had. Do you agree? I That's how I feel. Do you feel that way too? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that I'm right there with you. Very cool. So let's move into spoilers so you can talk more about that scene and a couple other things right now. Okay, so that scene with the black... I mean, the white widow. <laughs> <laughs> Not the black widow, the white one. <laughs> okay, they dress that woman really phenomenally. I have to say that white coat is just divine, and I wish yeah. I had a body that that could work with, because, I don't know, I would save money very to slinky, buy Very slinky, very elegantly oh, designed. Oh, so silky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, very drool-worthy fashion, yeah. <laughs> which I never feel that way, but that that was fun. Fun little element. So there's this scene where she realizes that, you know, Tom Cruise has this other person that is messing up their plans, being the middleman. What, Keep going, I'm trying to remember. Redhead that he likes. Oh, Ilsa. Yeah. So she discovers Ilsa. Okay. And it's... Oh, you know, yeah. She's like, it's either jealousy or it's... Yeah, she's like, I'd hate for a woman to come between us. Kind yeah. Of thing. And it doesn't have to be like a, like a jealousy relationship weird thing it doesn't have to be that and i'm sad that they went that way because that's what made that weird kiss that she gives him that makes me think she's a virgin and (laughs) this was the first time she's ever kissed someone you're talking about the white widow yeah and it was a desperate attempt to keep him 
in her claws kind of thing. Not mm. that she ever had him. So it, it just felt so weird really? to me. Yeah. It did not sit right with me at all. Interesting. Interesting. So here's the thing about White Widow. She's a character that, that has, like, I don't know, 15 minutes of screen time, then goes away from most of the movie until the very end. And well, then she looks normal kinda, at the end. Yeah. What's interesting that I did not catch is she is one of many references in the film to the rest of the series. Because, apparently, she is the daughter of a character from the very first movie. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but I believe it was Vanessa Redgrave played a character named Max in the very first film. Max is a character that is in constant correspondence with Ethan Hunt. A very gender-neutral name, a very gender-neutral identity. So Ethan's kind of intrigued and surprised. They're in a, they have a scene in a car together. Intrigued and surprised to learn that Max is a woman. We should watch all these movies before movie passed it's us see the new one. <laughs> to like... So you, okay, your mem- I'm, I'm guessing your memory is kind of vague about that. Very vague. Okay, so what I didn't catch was there is apparently a mention and a reference to Max in White Widow's scenes. And it's revealed that White Widow is actually Max's daughter. So that is kind of interesting and kind of cool. If for no other reason than it shows this whole, like... I don't know. The underbelly? Cohesiveness, I guess, of the series. You know, it's kind of cool. But, yeah, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on Vanessa Kirby's character. Well, now I feel even weirder. She's like, eh. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to watch the first film again. That said, I was fine with all of her scenes. They were just probably the closest to serviceable in the entire film. Mm -hmm. You know? So, shall I actually continue on with that theme of, of, of the references that this movie does to the to yeah the... go ahead and, and do the references so I don't That's I don't fine. know that I have all of them but a couple that I noted was Mission Impossible 2 factors in there's a cliff climb at the end of the film which is how Mission Impossible 2 started and that was the big stunt was Tom Cruise is free climbing a fucking cliff well, you and know. it's open page, right? Do you know what open page is? I don't know. What... It's where the rock surface is very smooth and there's oh. not much to grip. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, very impressive. So in the in the final sequence of the film, Tom Cruise is having a fight with, spoilers again, Superman, Henry Cavill, who it turns out, okay, <laughs> not only a CIA agent meant to keep Ethan in line, but is actually, it turns out, the, the actual, oh, what's his name? Oh, John Lark. John Lark. That's what it is. So in that sequence, they end up on a cliffside, and Ethan Hunt is, he goes from hanging onto this cord for dear life to realizing, oh, wait a minute, I think I'll just step off this cord and free climb, because fuck you, motherfucker, you can't do this, you know? <laughs> and so that was really cool when he does that. I actually immediately recognized it as, oh my god, it's like in Mission Impossible 2, and got excited. Also, Mission Impossible 3, Michelle Monaghan's character, uh, Julia, makes a huge, is a huge factor in this. Now, we've seen Julia being referenced or have some sort of a factor in every movie since Mission Impossible 3. We're learning Ghost Protocol. Oh, Ghost Protocol ties to Mission Impossible 3 because at the very end, he's checking in on her from a distance. 
you know? And then I think in Rogue Nation, she plays a factor too in some way. I just can't remember off the top of my head. And in this film, not only are these these nightmare dream sequences that Tom Cruise has with his past wife, who he's, you know, he left to be safe, and so he could also help save the world at all times, but also, like, she ends up being a major plot development in the third act where John Lark have has mechanized for her to do some rescue relief in Kashmir, which is where they're going to set off one of the plutonium bombs. Yeah? Two of the plutonium bombs, actually. Yeah, the, yeah? their plan is actually... The villain's plan in this film is... It makes a lot of sense. Their idea is to take away the water that feeds about two or three countries. Yeah, like billion people or a million people. So many. And, you know. Yeah. It's and like China is one of those. Give them all small India, pox. I yeah. suppose, as well. Yeah. And their idea is to blow up the water reserve. Yeah. And that's pretty smart. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, okay, people will die at varying yes. levels, but it's not just like an explosion. Right. It has severe consequences. Yes. You know, and Absolutely. I thought that that was that was pretty good. It yeah. works for me, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes these villain plots are like, what is their plan? Oh, they're going to blow like, up the mole. Mission Impossible 3, yeah. it's all about this rabbit's foot, and you don't know really what the fuck the rabbit's foot is and why it's important to everybody, and mm. no one ever actually says what it is. Mm. This movie, it's, it's a lot clearer. Uh, at least it was uh, for me. So, well, and I like how it, it's like an onion. You know, you're peeling this onion, and you, yeah. you, know, you get more and more little bits of information to form the whole thing. Right. And one last reference. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember if it's in Ghost Protocol or Rogue Nation, but Benji being a field operative, he's he's like, why don't I get to ever wear a mask? Kind of thing. <laughs> um, I think it's actually in Ghost Protocol where in, they're in the Burj Khalifa and they like one of them has to wear a mask to pretend to be somebody and he's like, why can't I wear the mask? Kind of thing. He gets to wear a mask in this film. And that's actually the scene... I was referring to earlier, he's wearing a Solomon Lane mask, the villain from the previous film, Rogue Nation, who is tied up because he's being released from prison by an organization, and he actually wants to exact revenge on Ethan Hunt, and, and he gets really personal about it. But anyway, the scene is that Simon Pegg, Benji, has to is the only one of the, the similar body type as Solomon Lane, so he has to wear a mask, and it gets complicated from there, right? And you see, uh, what I thought was cool is it does this pan. It's focused on Sean Harris, but you see Sean Harris stand up behind Sean Harris. Mm -hmm. It was very cool. I thought it worked really well. And that's a sequence where things really start to kind of unravel. You learn that Henry Cavill is actually John Lark. John Lark is working together with Solomon Lane. He's left alone, supposedly, with John Lark, uh, with Solomon Lane, and he frees Solomon Lane. Right? This but is he too learned, many names for me. <laughs> he learns that the Solomon Lane he thought he freed was actually Benji, who recorded the whole conversation, and Alec Baldwin's Alan Hunley, who's like the guy in charge, basically, for IMF in this movie. He's also from Rogue Nation. He's going to take John Lark in, Henry Cavill in, 
right? I knew that was a bad idea from the right? beginning. He's like twice his size. <laughs> Maybe. But it actually feels like, oh, the, the team actually comes out. They've got him. I was like, oh, wow. We're almost done with the movie. Oh, okay. Cool. But then it turns out, ah, ha, ha, ha. John Lark's team is actually there. Shootout ensues. All hell breaks loose. And Alec Baldwin's character, Alan, is the only one standing in the way of John Lark getting away. And he tries to apprehend him again. And he actually puts up a pretty decent fight. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, John Lark's a little bit better. And he shivs Alec Superman. Yeah, uh, a couple times. He did it again. And uh, so how, how did you feel about that? When that was going down, when you saw him fighting Henry Cavill, uh, what were your thoughts? Here's the thing. I never think that sugar bears are going to get hurt. Sugar bears. By sugar bears, it's a reference to Deadpool 2. Like the people that you know aren't built to survive within, within the action field, hmm. you know, who are meant to be behind the scenes and doing those things, hmm. you know. So I thought he was going to be fine. I thought he was going to make it. And it was very sad that he didn't. I was, I was a little upset. Because I, I, I like seeing Alec Baldwin. Yeah. I miss seeing him. Yeah. And he looks like he really has a good time with this role. Yeah, totally. You know, he looks th- like his eyes twinkle. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you can tell when you can tell when a guy's having a good time, you know. Yeah. I love so. him in this series. I loved him in this moment in this movie. He had a moment where they're like, "Welcome to the team, Ellen." And it was really kind of nice, you know, because sometimes <laughs> He has to butt heads with Ethan just for the better, for the good of the bigger picture. And so once I saw them fighting and it was like a, like a few seconds, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, I just had this feeling it was not going to come down to Alec Baldwin. <laughs> and, Walking away. You know, and, and oh. uh, Henry Cavill as the climax in the movie. And so I was, I was it, it was, again, one of those moments where I'm like, I'm not sure he's going to get out of this, mm, you know? Mm. And we had seen earlier where Luther was held at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not sure Luther's going to get out of this, you know? And I think there's another char- scene with another character. I'm like, I'm not, and I don't remember who it is off the top of my head. But I'm like, I'm not sure if that character's going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And Alec Baldwin's the one that, who doesn't get out of his predicament, mm-hmm. you know? And it makes sense that he wouldn't. I suppose. He's, he's on the other side of things, you know? He's mm. like, I'm going to deal with the politicians, and I'm going to get funding, or I'm going to make sure that our plans go through, or blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what he's built to do. He's not built to be right there. And right. I was really sad that he was there in the first place. Because right. <laughs> so I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> it's oh. like, I knew that we weren't near the end of the film because we hadn't seen... Ethan Hawke's first wife. Ethan Hunt, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, where is Ethan Hawke? <laughs> yeah, so I knew that we weren't near the end, and so I was like, well, maybe he'll just pretend that he's going to die, and maybe, you know, he isn't, because that's how he's going to be okay. That's how he's going to survive. He's going to play dead. Mm. Like, and he was instead. So, so let's talk about Michelle uh, Monaghan's character. Michelle has made a career, just like Abby Cornish, of being basically the wife in movies. This is probably her best wife role is in this series. What are some of her others? Oh, that's an excellent question. Let me take a very quick look here. Let's see, she's in Pixels. Oh, no. 
Oh no. <laughs> Machine Gun Preacher, I think she plays the wife in that. She's the love interest in Source Code. She's in Due Date. She There's this, uh, a few. The list kind of goes on. Gone Baby Gone. I think she's the wife in that one. Some of these, uh, she's a love interest in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Her, her roles have varied in interest <laughs> in terms of like is there more to her than just being the love interest but anyway i think this is one of her best roles there are scenes that you see in the trailer that are not in the movie and this is the one like possibility the air punching. no <laughs> like the air, that that actually <laughs> happens in the movie just not with the sound but like there's Which means it there's a whole happen. thing that the trailer ends with with possibility of ethan hunt's helicopter crashing into a semi and that that doesn't show up in the movie. So the one way that the whole thing with Michelle, Michelle Monaghan's Julia character not being a spoiler in the trailer is, oh, well, maybe they just shot that for the trailer like they did other sequences. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, I put it together very quickly that where she was going to end up in the film. Yeah. And what her role was going to be. And I was accurate with it. Yeah. If I do say so myself. Uh, do you have any thoughts about the climax of the film uh, before we wrap up? Or anything else about the movie at all? I really enjoyed that we got to see the wife. And yeah. I really enjoyed that, you know, there's two important women on the same piece of ground. Ilsa and, look, and yeah, Julia. And they look exactly the same. Coincidentally, <laughs> they like, look similar, yeah. I, I like that. There's something I can appreciate that, about that because mm. I would imagine that. He would be the kind of guy that would have a type, you know. Mm. And I appreciated seeing that. And they're two very different women. And it's really interesting because it's like, okay, you've got someone who's just absolutely, totally in the same world as him mm -hmm. and someone who's not. Yeah. And so it was just really fascinating. It was like this fascinating alternate future kind of moment for me to mm. see that that mirroring shot yeah yeah and it wasn't really a mirror shot it was more like a foreground background i know what i mean yeah so i really appreciated seeing that and that it wasn't a pissing contest for the ladies no not at all there was actually a level of appreciation that was shown at the very end after tom cruise wakes up mm -hmm. and i like, you have no idea what it's like for a woman who who has experience with something similar to that and they see that the woman is not going to fight. Yeah. The woman's not going to be a bitch to the other one. In fact, I think she left her with, like, encouraging words and yeah. compassion. And I really appreciated that so much, as you can tell. I appreciate that there was closure with the Julia character. Mm -hmm, that's good, too. And while... Ilsa's future is uncertain because she's now no longer tied to MI3, mm -hmm. the British agency. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like there's there's this sense that like Ethan and Ilsa could be together, but you know at least there, there's definitely like there's, please don't kill her in the you know next what I'm film. Like you understand what I'm saying? I understand like, what you're saying. There's like this beautiful possibility there. Yeah, there's a possibility with those two because they are they are the most alike. They definitely have mutual feelings. They are at odds throughout the film, but they don't want they don't want to have to go through each other. 
you know, to, to have to complete their missions, mm-hmm. you know? It's great. I mean, she's she's a great character also. I love her. I love Rebecca Ferguson in this in this series. And it's really awesome that she's a, a part of the climax uh, proactively as she is. You know, the whole search for the different uh, warheads and stuff. All of that is very well played out. And I, I, I love her in the film. Yeah. Well, and I also appreciate that there are a lot more female characters in this film. Yes. I And different roles. Well, too. in the series in general, actually, the women of Mission Impossible are some of the most interesting and coolest women of any action franchise Yeah, fuck James Bond. Let's go with this one. So, okay. From a female that's, that's, perspective. I, I understand. That, that's fair. That's okay. fair. I, some might debate that, but I think that's a yes, fair... That's a fair point. But, yeah, so... At any rate, well, I, also I, wanna, think... I, I just wanted to say too, I appreciated the bravery that his ex-wife had. I keep forgetting her name. Julia. Julia. I like when she stepped up to help with the bomb. Yeah, right. right. Like, Jesus, that's really fucking cool. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's true. Tell me how to help. Yeah. And it was just. What is it? She says, "I'm a, I'm a doctor, not a." Uh, engineer or something I think like she that. said she's a surgeon not an engineer yeah yeah and it was just it was really cute because I thought well actually this is kind of a, it's, it's a good backup for you it's good banter <laughs> anyway all this to say Mission Impossible Fallout so great great film the, there is way more good than bad in this movie for sure way more good than bad compared to any other movie that has come out this summer I feel possibly even this uh, year uh potentially especially as a blockbuster film i give it an eight out of ten how about you shanna yeah that sounds about accurate i would almost give it an eight and a half but nice almost a nine you could say no 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 we're not gonna push it too far <laughs> fantastic it is it is the perfect action film uh for sure go see it that is our review of mission impossible fallout let's move on to Finally, Film Faves. Film Faves is a segment of our show inspired by an article feature on the Gibson Review where we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. The idea is to not only share a little bit about our tastes through that, but also hopefully expose you to films you haven't seen. As a result, we also try to let you know where these films are available to stream. Primarily through Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and HBO Now. But most movies are not available on these streaming services, and if that's the case, usually you can find them to rent on Amazon. So we will try to point out where they are. Tom Cruise, though. Tom Cruise movies. The guy has made something like 47 films, and I have seen... One second here. Of the 47 films... 28 of his 47 films that he starred in. Shanna, this was a little bit more of a challenge for you because you have not seen over 20 of his films, it turns out. You had only seen, like, what, six um, as of a couple weeks ago? Tom Cruise movies? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I don't think so. I missed some of his, like, more well-known ones. Like, I hadn't seen Interview with a Vampire... Mm-hmm. I, I am not going to watch Top Gun, ever. Which is interesting because that's like his biggest hit from the 80s. That's that's great. I'm very happy for him. 
but I'm not going to to watch it. Mm-hmm. I think this, uh, you know, it's it's one of those. It's when you hear about a film all your freaking life, and then you never get to see it. It's like that, and then mm-hmm. it wears out on you. It's like you know what I can do without it. At any rate, there's a lot of films you haven't seen of his, right? That that I have, like Days of Thunder, The Outsiders, Risky Business, Cocktail Far and Away. You mentioned Top Gun. I had much more to draw from. So we tried to give you homework, tried to have you catch up a little bit. You saw two or three of his movies in uh-huh. that time. but and you're, So you're able to make a full list of 12 while leaving one movie off. So you, I think you've seen 13 in total, right? But we ended up making a combined list because there weren't enough movies that you had seen that I had not that ended up on your list. So um, we have a combined list of favorite Tom Cruise movies, and we weighted this, I weighted this list based on where we placed each movie on our respective list. We did not have any movies that we ranked the same. But there were three that, uh, three slots that we ended up having to open up, which we put at the very bottom of the list, you know, 12 through 10. That of movies that were ranked highest that were not on both of our lists. So I'm going to get started because the first film is one of mine that um, is what remains from my list. It is Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles from 1994, which is available on Netflix. Shannon, this is one of the movies I showed you, thinking... You might actually like this. <laughs> uh, I was wrong. It did not end up on your list at all. But I definitely found myself really struck by how passionate I ended up being about the movie after watching it recently for the first time in several years. I think one of the things, first and foremost, is with Tom Cruise, every once in a while he tries to do something really different. Or he's not just the hero. Uh, be it some sort of a drama, action movie, or what have you, where he's an unlikable character even. And I think Interview with the Vampire is one of the few cases where he's an actual villain. And this film was the first time I saw Tom Cruise in a movie and thought, oh damn, the dude can act. I was still taken away by his version of the vampire Lestat who is an incredibly manipulative, somewhat evil, yet very elegant and captivating and charismatic character. Somehow he's able to draw people in close to him, close enough for either the kill or for him to be able to manipulate in some way. And uh, I think it's a very beautiful film. I think it's a really great an interesting and different vampire film especially up to that time is very bloody and very gory at that time i think still you would say today too very gory i think it it holds up fairly well some people can criticize brad pitt's character as very (laughs) whiny or boring but i like brad pitt in the film it's really irritating yeah it really frustrates me he is a whiny bitch but you have um, other great cast members also. Antonio Banderas, a very young Kirsten Dunst. Uh, Stephen Ray is in the film. I love Interview with a Vampire. 
and I'm glad that I was able to just barely squeak into the list. Shannon, why don't you talk about number 11, which is a movie we just caught up with. Our number 11 is American Made, the story of Barry Seal, an American pilot who became a drug runner for the CIA in the 1980s in a clandestine operation that would be exposed as an Iran-Contra affair. Now, I know nothing about history with regards to everything that happens in this film, Mm. but fuck, I love a good, crazy-as-fuck true story. Like Wolf of Wall Street, you Mm. know, is a good example of this one, uh, this kind of film. And, I mean, it's really interesting. Tom Cruise is trying to make it work. But at the same time, he still gets, like, this craziness that that happens. I think Tom Cruise is this great guy that can have practically any role, but there has to be crazy in it. If there's no crazy in it, then I feel like it's it's not a good film. Hmm. Like... You mean, and if it's like, too much crazy, like it, Vanilla Scar, ah. then it's it's not going to be good for him either. It has to, He has to be real. And I feel like every time he's playing a role, he is real. Mm. Like a real character. I mean, a real person. He's totally relatable, just with his look. So I really enjoyed that film. And it's on HBO. Yes. And in this film, he's a guy who's kind of in over his head and is kind of bullshitting his way as much as he can, but... He's not smooth at all, and he kind of gets by on luck sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he doesn't get by, but he, he barely makes it out of his jam. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting and very different for, for him. So for number 10, it is Jerry Maguire, which is another film that did not make Shanna's list, but was so highly ranked on mine, it just barely squeaked into this one. I've spoken about Jerry Maguire before, I think, in our Film Faves 1996 list, if I'm not mistaken. It was might have been my favorite movie of that year. I absolutely love this. I think this is peak Cameron Crowe. He has not made a film as good as this. Well, I take that back. Almost Famous came afterwards, and that was a great film. I loved Almost Famous. But this is, you know, Cameron Crowe, I do stand by the statement that he hasn't made a movie as good as this movie since Almost Famous. And Tom Cruise is really great. I mean, he's he's very believable as this hotshot agent who suddenly has a conscience. And, and he's trying to also, like, he's always trying to win the situation you know did he get the contract did he seal the deal even in his relationship he's like trying to read the person did he seal the deal did did um he convince the person or what have you and um for for this person to 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 have this crisis of um kind of this internal crisis and become more and more of an actual caring individual is a really kind of a cool and interesting role for tom cruise anyway why don't you introduce our number nine film? And if uh, you're hearing children squeal, and we apologize, it sounds like our neighbors are, are playing. a jolly good time. Yeah, in the background. <laughs> I'm not sure I can it's, it's, edit all that out. It's very hot today, so and there's wind, so it's like, yay, we can be outside. Yeah. So our next film is Eyes Wide Shut, and that's a Stanley Kubrick film, a New York City doctor who is married to an art curator, that's Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, pushes himself on a harrowing and a dangerous night-long odyssey of sexual and moral discovery. 
this is after his wife admits that she once almost, almost cheated on him. Right. And honestly, I mean, there's not much I can say about this film. It's best to go in cold and see the weirdness that unfolds. This is like his best weird film, I think. Very interesting. Well, it is Stanley Kubrick's last film. It's very austere, very like, I don't know, emotionally distant film, but also a beautifully shot film. It's almost like he's he's going into the going down the rabbit hole in yeah, his little journey. A, a different world. Yeah, uh, sexual escapades and such. Our number 8 film is Minority Report, the Steven Spielberg sci-fi film based on a Philip K. Dick story. I think this film, and we discussed on Film Faves 2002, if I remember correctly, this was the second film on this list to have been on both of our lists. So that's kind of near the bottom as a result of that. I think, Shannon, you're a bit more of a fan of this film than myself. This story about pre-crime officers that are able to stop and and arrest people who are about to commit a crime such as murder or what have you yes although the visual effects in this film are very very bad don't really hold up at all it's a really good concept about crime yeah it's pretty cool it is the reason why it's lower on my list is because of the visuals which are intentionally fuzzy and gray and such to hide some of the um special effects the visual effects that don't hold up but anyway pretty uh fun and and uh clever film regardless number seven on our list is i think the first mission impossible movie to be on our list it is mission impossible 3 J.J. Abrams doing what he does for the first time, which is uh, reinvigorating a franchise. He did this later with 2009 Star Trek and then with Star Wars, The Force Awakens. But with Mission Impossible 3, he... J.J. makes everything better. Yeah, he, he did. He, <laughs> he certainly fixes did. things. Yeah, he did. Absolutely, absolutely. Kerry Russell starred and Tom Cruise needed to stop... Philip Seymour Hoffman from getting something called the rabbit's foot. Very menacing. And actually, it starts with Tom Cruise in a... I think he's in a relationship and he gets married during the film to Julia. That's right. That's right. He supposedly leaves IMF at the end of that film. Something else that Fallout references in a conversation with Luther and Ilsa, mm-hmm. if you recall. Did you have any uh, reason why this was kind of uh, lower on your list? Um, I don't think so. Compared to the others? No? Number six was a new discovery for Shanna. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, this one is Rain Man from 1988. It's uh, Obviously, it's starring the star we're talking about, Tom Cruise, but also Dustin Hoffman and Valeria Golino, mm-hmm. which yep. I'm probably butchering. She had a moment back then through the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And so this is about Charlie Babbitt, who's played by Tom Cruise. He is a really weird car salesman. Yeah, he's a car salesman. Yeah, he's, but um, like import cars. Yes, It's a very yes. specific niche. Yes, that's right. And his business, is not, his business is not doing well at all. Right. And 
then his father dies, his, you know, essentially estranged father who yeah. he didn't get along with. And he goes to see what's going to happen. And he's left the car and rose bushes. To, to Charlie as yeah. in his will. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, there's like a $3 million trust yeah. that's created for someone who he discovers is his brother. And I think there was like a, like a 15 year difference between them. I something huge. I'm not sure. I mean, you're talking about the age difference between Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise, essentially, which they write into the movie. And yeah, he didn't know that his brother existed at all. His brother, by the way, is a autistic savant. Um, he's really good with numbers Dustin Hoffman, of course, got a, a lot of notoriety for this role, where mm-hmm. he plays very convincingly. And they go on this really interesting adventure, and of course, you know, Tom Cruise's character starts off really selfish and mad and angry, and mm-hmm. eventually he gets to, he grows a lot and gets to a better place by the end of the film, which is like, I think it was a five-day or a seven-day journey. Yeah, it was intended to be one flight, because he, he basically steals his brother away yeah. from his... Uh, voluntary, um, I don't know, rest home Century. or having, you know, t- taking care of him and stuff and his actual particular needs. And he was going to take him away and essentially hold him for ransom for his half of the trust that yeah. he felt he was entitled to. I feel like while Dustin Hoffman has the shiny role, Tom Cruise has the more interesting role because you have a guy who left home at 16, did not feel loved, he, and, and he felt cheated and he's very much been alone and driven towards nothing but success ultimately maybe to impress his dad subconsciously someday you know and he his dad dies and he feels even more cheated out of everything and more resentful and more entitled and he ends up developing this relationship even though like He's also lives a fast-paced life, and life is constantly telling him to slow down. He can't go by plane. He can't go by train. He can't. He has to stop, you know, at a motel overnight. He can't drive through the night. He has to stop and not drive while it's raining because his brother doesn't like um, to go out when it's raining. It's one thing after another, and I thought that was really, really interesting. And this is the first role I would say where Tom Cruise is actually acting. Yeah, he very starts Levinson. off very un- unlikable. Yeah, and yeah. And then he is likable again, and I like that. Yeah, Barry Levinson directed that film. It's probably his best film. Rain Man, by the way, is on Hulu, and that's how Shanna got to see it. Uh, we're over halfway through our list. Number five is Magnolia. I love this film. This is He's really unlikable in this one. Yes. Really, 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 really unlikable. Yes, this is a really good example, again, of, of Tom Cruise doing something different. He is also a very selfish character who is estranged from his father. Very interesting that these are back-to-back on the list. But he's like a self-made sex guru, kind of a chauvinist for, uh, for men. I don't, I don't think he's a sex guru. I think he's like a... Like, yeah, that's a result that can happen. Yeah. But I think it's more like a how to get women in your life. Right. And that's what it is. And like what you do from there is your thing. But he's like totally, it's a totally penis driven like perspective God, on life, right? And, and, two, and one of my cousins took this seriously and started oh, doing that. Of course. And I was like, wonderful. Yeah. What the took fuck, the wrong lessons dude? from that movie. <laughs> oh my God. 
yeah, this is probably my second favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, I've talked about it before, I think, in our Film Faves 1999 list. Shanna, you and uh, really love the film, too. Anything else you want to say about it? You figure out why he is the way he is, which I want to see. Like, if you're going to be such an unlikable chauvinist... Mm-hmm. Um, why are you? Prick then yeah. show me why. Like, yeah. let's crack that open. Mm-hmm. And they did, and that was fascinating. And it's a really good film, too, with everyone else. But I'm focusing on Tom Cruise, yeah. Absolutely. So number four is, interestingly enough, the fourth entry of Mr. Impossible, Ghost Protocol. This was Brad Bird's film. Is this the one in Dubai? And it's most famous for its sequence in Dubai with the Br- Burj Khalifa, is that what it's called? Burj Khalifa? The very, very, very tall building. Oh, the tallest building, yeah. You know, where he's hanging outside of it 120 stories. The way the build-up to that sequence is great because he's, like, trying to find every other option outside of having to hang outside this building, you know? Like, uh, let's do this, no? Uh, How about this idea? How about this? And then him actually being on it is probably one of the most intense, thrilling stunts I have seen in film and still to this day is kind of frightening for someone who's not a big fan of heights but also a really fun film as well one character i wish they brought back was the the female character uh whose name is uh paula Patton, and she was badass in this movie playing jane i really wish that she came back and i know she almost did for the last movie rogue nation but didn't work out oh yeah now i remember her yeah Anyway, anything else you want to say about Ghost Protocol? No, I, th- I think it's clear that I enjoy the Mission Impossible films, yeah. Number, our third favorite Tom oh, Cruise movie. Now, just step aside. Isn't this is my a... ultimate favorite, actually. Yeah. And, and you wouldn't even know that it's him in there. Well, see, that's the thing. It's not even technically a Tom Cruise movie, mm-hmm. especially since he's so unrecognizable in this film. It is Tropic, Tropic Thunder. Thunder. Which we talked about in our Film Faves 2008 episode. But talked about, talk about why this was uh, on your list and so high on your list. This is a movie about making movies. And Tom Cruise is in charge. He is the one that's making all the calls. He is saying yay or nay. He's axing. He's giving more you know, funds towards different projects. And... He must deal with an enormous amount of, like, crazy personalities, crazy desperate personalities, you know, with in these different situations. You're talking about the real Tom Cruise? No, like, the character. Mm. And so he plays this really hard-ass, you know, that he's completely unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've given him a bodysuit. They've given him, like, a different face face almost you know yeah he's balding Mm -hmm. and Les Grossman is the character's name Mm -hmm. so through a series of freak occurrences a group of actors shooting a big budget war movie are forced to become the soldiers they are portraying and I just this was during a time where I hated Tom Cruise like I was like I don't like you and then I watched this film and I was like who is that guy that guy is fucking amazing and then I think you told me, oh, that's Tom Cruise. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so that's when I was like, okay, 
I need to watch more Tom Cruise stuff. Again, a really good example of him doing something really different. He's basically playing a Harvey Weinstein type character, which, you know, wasn't as open at the time to many people. I think people kind of in the know kind of knew. But that was that was about it. Um, but yes, it's very entertaining and a great lampoon of of that kind of studio producer for sure. But our second favorite Tom Cruise film is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. That is the fifth Mission Impossible film. Shanna, why is this your favorite Mission Impossible film? I just really enjoyed it. And I can't put number six there. So, because <laughs> that's not my favorite. But I like number five because we got to see it, for one thing, we got to see it at the Cinerama. Mm. And that was such an experience. The bigger the screen, the better for a Mission Impossible film. Mm. Yeah. And I just really liked the action. I liked that there was such a cool female character in there. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, what is her name? Elsa. Elsa was yeah. there. And that just really thrilled me. And, you know, Tom Cruise is good in all of them. So I don't have much to say other than I like the franchise. Now, Ghost Protocol may be my favorite actual entry of the whole series. It's the film that also introduced Jeremy Renner into the uh, series. Uh, Jeremy Renner is also in Rogue Nation. But yes, uh, Ilsa, played by Rebecca Ferguson, is absolutely a standout. But also, we do have Solomon Lane, who's a really great villain. He even starts out the film killing somebody in front of Ethan Hunt, uh, which is which is really great. He's even in a situation where you're not sure if Ethan Hunt's going to get out of it. If you remember with the mission and the, the gas, the gas fell that in the That was really room. good cinematography, too. That was just a really uh, intense opening. Uh, an absolute blast of a film, for sure, too. And even uh, like how they get the bad guy in the end is really really one of the most satisfying for me uh, i thought that was really clever and awesome but yeah a really great film and so it's our second favorite tom cruise movie which means our, our very favorite first is edge of tomorrow yes the sci-fi action film where you get to hear tom cruise squeal yeah <laughs> nothing more satisfying than that <laughs> yeah so here is on the surface you wouldn't think this would be a very different role for tom cruise because in a way he's doing just another sci-fi action film but really it is a very different role for tom cruise because he's playing a guy who doesn't know what the hell he's doing mm-hmm. right he's being thrown into battle and he is not he's 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 like the face of the military he's not a guy who's geared for battle right and so he's dying all the time and he's not actually the hero quote unquote of the story emily blunt is she's the one that has to save him teach him he gets trained all these sorts of things subverts the tom cruise action hero model and which i think is really brilliant and really awesome and this film is a near perfect film you know i've probably talked before how the last two minutes of the film is the only thing that that ruins it at all for me but why is this film so high on your list i was actually just reliving that part and i was like that was so cool but (laughs) 
Honestly, other than the squealing that we hear Tom Cruise do before he gets smashed by a wheel, yeah. <laughs> he's like, <"Ee!"> <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's never a sound that you'd think you'd hear from Tom Cruise, <laughs> you know. And it's just really fun to see him in, you know, this kind of role, military. You know, you also see him like die quite brutally when yeah. he gets the the alien contact. Right. And I was like. Holy shit! They just killed Tom Cruise. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. and the, that was just so shocking to me. Yeah, he doesn't die in any of his other movies, right? Not not often. Not even an interview with a vampire. And yeah, and to, you know that doesn't really count because it's a vampire. We but he has several time. scenes, you know, in the movie where yeah he may die. Yeah, and so I just think it's. It's what movies don't do to Tom Cruise that they do in this movie. Yeah. That satisfies me to no end. Yeah. We love this movie. If you never caught up with Edge of Tomorrow, which is entirely possible because it didn't do as well as it should have, you still need to catch up with it. I think it's available to rent on Amazon. So those are our favorite films collectively of Tom Cruise. What are your favorite Tom Cruise movies? Feel free to email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com Shanna why don't you let them know where they can find you on the internet before we talk about our next episode you can find me at Shanna underscore Paxton on Instagram S-H-A-N-N-A P-A-X-T-O-N underscore in between that excellent and of course you can find everything all uh, Gibson Review at thegibsonreview.com including past episodes that you can stream from there. You can go to iTunes and uh, SoundCloud to find past episodes of The Movie Lovers. You can go to Facebook, The Gibson Review to find mini reviews, third party links, all sorts of things there. Um, or you can go to the Gibson 99 on Flickchart and keep up with all the movies that I have seen in my life which is... A lot of movies, for sure. That's why I love you. 3,162-63 movies, according to Flickchart. Anyway, so the next episode of The Movie Lovers, episode 37, for sure will be Film Phase 1994, which will be very exciting. That's a great year. As far as our main event, we are at an indecisive because this episode will come out before Happy Time Murders comes out. So we might talk about, I don't know, The Meg. We might talk about, what were the couple movies we were talking about? Black Klansman, the newest Spike Lee film. We might talk about Crazy Rich, Crazy Rich Asians. But also, there is some interest in possibly talking about 8th grade, even though it will have been out by for a month at that point. So we'll see. We'll keep you updated. It's August, so there's not a lot of must-see films. We'll go from there for sure. Keep, keep yourself posted on the Facebook page as far as that's concerned. But we are coming up soon to our fall movie preview. Uh, so keep an eye out for that as well, because we'll be looking ahead at the the fall movie and the awards season films. Woo-hoo! So that'll be awesome. Until August 21st, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.